Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's episode, the scam that's sweeping across Instagram, plus the Bachelor in Paradise conversation that the whole country is talking about without actually talking about it at all. And finally, the influencer and alcohol debate that has us just a little bit confused. But first, Zara, how was your week? Good week. We spent a lot of time in Sydney this week smashing out a whole bunch of interviews for our In Conversation episodes because we wanted to sort of spread our wings and get some Sydney talent on the airwaves. It feels like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> it's, been a big, it's been a big week. I have to say they are, I know we say this about every conversation and maybe we just really enjoy having these conversations with people. Maybe we're just super narcissistic. No, but it's not us. It's them. <laughs> they are so good at talking. People are so good at telling stories, I think. Yeah. And I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed doing them. Yeah. A lot of them as well. Some of them where we went in, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to go really surprised me as well. Some of them are real dark horses where I feel like I'm so confident and so excited to share those in convo apps. Yeah, like conversations that kind of didn't go down paths we had intended to yeah. take them down, which is always really nice. I I have to say I recommended this week um, an episode of David Tennant's podcast and I recommended it in the newsletter. Was this with James Corden? Yeah, and I was listening to it on the plane and I kept pointing to it as I was <laughs> listening to it to you saying you need to listen to this. He's I re- a delightful man, James I re- Corden. Yeah, so is David Tennant. I recommend that podcast a lot. I feel like everybody does. <laughs> and the only way to kind of describe the podcast is kind of, it's just really lovely. Like every interview is really lovely. It's really sweet. It's delightful. And James Corden is so smart and so likable. And this is just, it was one of my favorite interviews ever, I think. Big call. I know. Now I'm worried that people are going to listen to it and think, ah, a bit of a big call there. <laughs> we do but that was, with your recommendation every week. Don't I know. Worry. I think many people actually pick them up, but that is more than fun. <laughs> so it was a really lovely, um, lovely listen. How was your week? It was good. I will be completely honest. I had a super depressed and anxious couple of days the past few days. And I've spoken about that on the podcast before, I think, where I've spoken about mental illness and my own history with it. But I got really complacent. And the past couple of months, I said to Mitch earlier this week, I'm like, my anxiety Mm. has been amazing. I feel so good. And then all of a sudden yesterday, I was just struck down. I felt so low and so depressed and so gloomy all day. So it's kind of weird that We were staying in this glamorous, beautiful hotel in Sydney because Pier 1 were gorgeous and put us up there as a favour. And we just had the best week. We met so many shiny people. And then I came back and I just had the darkest, most depressed day that I've had in like a year. Do you think it's because you finally stopped? I think so. I think it's that classic thing. And a lot of people with mental illness will understand this as they're listening. As soon as your mind is idle then it's kind of like you have a tsunami of all the emotions and feelings that you haven't been paying attention to. Like your mind goes searching a bit? Oh, absolutely. It's almost like you find things to catastrophize about or be upset about. And it was funny because that morning we got a DM from someone who wasn't a particular fan of us and wasn't particularly nice to us. And it's just funny that it didn't penetrate your armor at all. It really didn't cut deep for you Mm. but I really struggled with it and wasn't even the nastiest message we've got I was just in a really bad place that morning and then the rest of the day was ruined because of that stupid message no it's very true and it's 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 funny that the roles were kind of flipped because the a couple of weeks ago it was completely the other way around Mm -hmm. but it does sort of speak to how what your mental state is like I guess at the time you sometimes get messages like this and they don't come in hugely often but I think when they do and they come to everyone yeah It's never particularly nice. Yeah. And on the upside, I'm feeling way better today, but I do think it's important. It was so funny. I went to write about it so many times in my Instagram story because part of me is always like when I'm having a really depressed day, I'm like, I want to tell people that I'm feeling this way and I want to make it an open dialogue about mental illness. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want to seem like I'm reaching and I don't want people to DM me and reach out and be like, hope you're okay, hun. Cause of course that's really nice, but I'm not doing it for that. I'm not doing it. I feel like people will think I'm doing it for attention when I'm not. I just want to be open about it and transparent about it. Well, it's like the conversation that we have a little bit on this podcast in choosing what you want to share and choosing the kind of grubbier details about what's going on is all well and good. But A, you have to give away your part of yourself in order mm. to do that. And B, you run the risk of exactly what you say, being seen as someone that's 
looking for attention. I don't think that's the case at all. And doing it to be relatable. I feel like because we overanalyze Instagram content these days, I was like, I really want to tell people that everything's not so shiny. Like my last post on Instagram was me standing in front of the fucking Sydney Harbour Bridge (laughs) wearing a dress that I could never afford because it was lent to us. Like I do want to be open and honest that this isn't my typical day and I'm not actually doing that well. But I do think people are smart enough to see that too. Do you think there's like elements of both? I don't know if anyone would see that photo of me saying for the Sydney Harbour Bridge and be like, she looks depressed. (laughs) She looks terrible. No, not at all. Sorry. What I meant by that is I think people are smart in that they can see a collection of photos and not think that they add up to a life. True. I just want to be open, but then I'm like, fuck, I don't want to seem like some high maintenance 25 year old white girl who's like, I'm depressed. It's not all it seems. No, I don't think it comes across like that at all. I think it's quite important, but it is good. You are looking far lighter today, might I say. (laughs) I was pretty dark yesterday. I literally messaged you and I'm like, I am not in a good place. Let's not talk about work for a little bit. Let's not do work. And we did it. And I'm better today. Yeah. Any recommendations? Oh, I do really want to recommend the Seize the Yay podcast, particularly an episode called Dirty 30. It's actually about uh, Sarah Holloway, who is the host of that podcast. It's her answering listener questions all about the milestone of turning 30 and how it feels to get to that age. And this will sound ridiculous, but I do stress when I get older because I feel like, am I where I want to be? Have I achieved what I wanted to achieve yet? It's this big time crunch thing for me growing older and reaching 25 was this big, I don't know, this big mental hurdle to get over that I'm now mid twenties. I can't call myself early twenties anymore. Think we were mid twenties at twenty four. I had yes. this discussion <laughs> with my friends all the time. When I turned twenty four, they were like, "Welcome to the mid twenties club," and I was like, "Oh, this happened much faster than I thought." Zara, I spent all of twenty eighteen in denial, and then yeah. I got to twenty nineteen. I'm like, "Well, fuck! I definitely am not early twenties at all." Lucky you, you look like such a youthful, lovable sunflower. You know that's a lie as well, because everyone's what? always like, "Zara looks so young." Do you know what that is? It's a height <laughs> thing, and I don't look young in terms of a. Good Good, a good way to look young. I just look 12 and you know that too. You look great. But like a, a very adorable 12 year old. See, we had this conversation on the podcast last week. When you call someone adorable, <laughs> I don't think you think you are on equal playing fields, but that's for another time. Let's actually get into the show today. We're starting with a pyramid scheme because why not? We are. This was so bizarre. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it on your Instagram feed. It's this weird kind of gypsy looking vibe and it's all on Instagram stories. You'd call it gypsy vibe, right? No, I would. I actually, I'm laughing because it was a better way of explaining it than I thought it would With be. all very like pastel-y, kaleidoscopy vibes. And it's called Loom, L-O-O-M. And I would say the definition of loom is a scam, a pyramid scheme. Yeah, so it's been super interesting. For those who haven't seen it on their Instagram feeds or who have seen it but haven't quite been sure what the deal is, people have been sharing this kind of graphic of, Michelle is right, it looks like a bit of a kaleidoscope. And the idea is people are asking for money. So they're saying to their friends and their family, hey, transfer me $300. And if you do and you get to the center of this sort of kaleidoscope image, you will walk away with $2,400. And people, it's been shared pretty far and wide. Unfortunately, what a lot of people aren't writing in their Instagram stories is, oh, by the way, you A, might lose your money and B, I'm pretty sure this is just a pyramid scheme. Yeah. And for those unaware, I actually did not know this earlier this week. Pyramid schemes are illegal in Australia. It is a crime to organise a pyramid scheme. And for those who are listening going, what the fuck's a pyramid scheme, Michelle? Let me give you the definition that I found online. So it's basically any type of business model that recruits members via a promise of payments or services for enrolling others into the scheme. So as Zara said, you enroll yourself with $300 for nothing, by the way. There's no program. There's no product that's being sold. It's just like a weird game. You pay $300 to get in. The more people you get to then pay $300, you move in and up and you end up getting a whole bank deposit worth, as you said, $2,400. This is so odd to me that people can put a fancy diagram up of a kaleidoscope on Instagram and everyone goes, hell yeah, I want to give you money and then ask for money for nothing in return other than to make money. It is a sad way that social media is used. It's almost like, remember when we used to send chain letters around? It's how these things catch on so quickly, except this isn't just a chain letter where if you don't send it on, you're going to die. You you have to transfer money and give people your bank details. I think there's a strange misguided sense in this case in particular that people are making money out of nowhere, but the people that are walking away with a max amount you could walk away with aren't just pulling that money out of thin air. They're taking it from the people around them. So yeah. they are taking this money 
from friends and family without actually thinking that that's where the money is coming from. You've actually scammed your friends and family into walking away with heaps of money. And it's not like this just goes on forever. Eventually, someone somewhere is going to go, I don't want to give you my $300. And then the people who have invested $300 to get in and have gotten their family and friends to get $300 in are not going to make money. People are going to lose money from this and people have been losing money from this. And the most bizarre aspect of this entire story is that there are people that I actually think are intelligent and have a brain and are totally like well-functioning members of society who are doing this and asking for money. Well, this is what gets me because in order to win money, you have to bank on your friends and family losing it, which is a weird thought process for me to get my head around. But but for me, and I know that we've touched on this before, it does point to one of the biggest flaws of social media for me, which is the fact that social media strips context and meaning from things when when images or graphics or stories spread so quickly and it kind of gives you a very one-dimensional view of a scenario or experience, it doesn't really encourage us to do our own research. It doesn't really encourage us to do any of our own digging or to think beyond ourselves. And that's what I'm seeing in a lot of people who are getting caught up in the hype and the stampede without actually pulling themselves back and thinking, where is this money coming from and who am I actually taking from? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that also gets me with this is that a lot of pyramid schemes are aimed at people older than you and I, Zara, and probably the people listening to this podcast, in that it's a bigger fee to get into the pyramid scheme. It's a couple of thousand dollars, for example. But this example in Loom, you only have to pay 300, which means that it's very prevalent amongst young people. Because while $300 is a lot of money, the majority of young people on Instagram can probably spend $300 without being completely broke. Like this is an amount where it's accessible and it's tempting. It's a high amount, but it's not too high to be like, "Mm, no, I can't afford that. But the ACCC is cracking down on this. So if you're seeing people do this or if you've done it yourself, it's a scam. It's identified by the government as a scam and it's an illegal activity. There was a really interesting quote from Luke McDonald, who is someone who was asked to join uh, via Facebook, I think it was. He was trying to be recruited and he didn't get into it. He spoke to ABC and said, essentially, you're scamming your family and friends because it's your immediate circle that you're pushing it into. It's just transferring money around to different people and then eventually the people at the bottom get screwed. I think that nails it completely because the faster you go on this, the more likely you are to win money, but the people at the bottom do get left behind. In that same piece, Queensland University of Technology fraud expert, Dr. Cassandra Cross said, it will certainly get to a point, as many of these schemes do, where there's no new investors and no new people coming into it. And once that happens, all of the promised returns never eventuate and it all falls over. Yeah. And when we use the word investors... What are they even investing in? Not sure. Thin air. The kaleidoscope little graphic on Instagram. Well, that's what's funny to me about this is there isn't, like we said, a product involved when there usually is a product involved. It's so stupid. It's it is it's stupid but also can you kind of see how these things gain traction so quickly on social media because all it takes is one person in a whatsapp message to say guys i just got twenty four hundred dollars within a day if you jump on this quickly you will too Hmm. the subtext is not by the way you have to steal it from everyone you know in order to get there (laughs) if anyone wants to send me three hundred dollars for my own pyramid scheme you're welcome we will start one of these in the facebook group if you'd like to transfer us money also before the quick and dirty zara is flailing around a lip gloss yet again while doing these segments. I need something in my hands. I'm a fiddler. I'm a fiddler. (laughs) Next segment, please. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle. Michelle, you've got five stories. G'day. Are you ready for me? So ready for you. (laughs) My first story. Kim Kardashian West says she is studying to become a lawyer. That is from Zara McDonald, The Guardian. I didn't mind this story, but it copped a bit of flack. It did. People don't take Kim's aspirations to go into, I don't know, the legal arena, seriously. You've got a bit of a smirk, is <laughs> I don't know. Do, do think I think she's going to actually do a four-year-long apprenticeship? Not sure. Maybe that's because I also watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and at one point in time, not that long ago, she wanted to become a mortician. So, I mean... <laughs> That context is fair and important. (laughs) She does say that she uh, she wants to sit the bar exam at 2020, apparently, and she is doing work experience for the next four years. Um, I mean, good on her. Truthfully, good on her. For someone, we often denounce celebrities who want to use their platform for nothing else but for skinny tea and, Mm -hmm. and 
stomach sucking lollipops, mm-hmm. which is what she does. But if she also wants to go, do good, then I don't think anyone can actually um, be mocking of that. I do understand your perspective in that if she hasn't been consistent in her career pursuits in the past, then perhaps <laughs> then perhaps we need to take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> can I read out my favourite quotes yes. from the Guardian story? Uh, took my first test, got a 100. Super easy for me. Wait, it sounds like Donald Trump, doesn't it? <laughs> the second is, the reading is what really gets me. That definitely sounds like Donald Trump. It's so time-consuming, the concepts I grasp in two seconds. That is very quick to grasp really complicated legal subjects. That's like a really brilliant sentence that sounds like a cross between Donald Trump and Kanye West. Yeah. I mean, go for it. I mean, if she's getting the really complicated concepts in two seconds, power to you, gal. That's one, two. Kim Kardashian now understands contract law. I know. Exactly. No, nah, good on it. I mean, what? as you said. Snarky, I yeah, reckon. I know. I don't know if it's because we're lacking think, caffeine today. I think we're lacking caffeine. I think it's been a long day. No, in all seriousness, so that this is on the record without a snark <laughs> from Michelle, I do think if she's able to work for the four years, do the work that she says she wants to do and sits the exam, then nobody is worse off because of it. God, yeah. The four-year apprenticeship, if she does that, I will bow down to her. Like, it's a good aspiration to have. No problemo. (laughs) I've said gal and no problemo in this segment. Can we go into story two? Number two, please. (laughs) Prince Harry and Meghan Markle say royal baby's birth to remain a private family affair. That's from ABC, and this is pretty big considering that Kate Middleton walked out of the hospital like 30 minutes after giving birth and showed Prince Louis off to the world. This is pretty big for them to say they're going to spend a couple of days yeah, in private. I feel a bit ripped off. Um, no, <laughs> Give it, us this baby. It is It is really interesting to me, I think. Kate Middleton didn't just come out hours after giving birth and pose for official portraits, but she also told the press when she was going in to give birth. Like the mm. minute she was in labor, we knew about it. Kensington Palace was tweeting about it. I remember because I had my push notifications on at the time, so I would know. Were you writing about it at that point? I would hope so. Yeah, probably. Um, but they, Prince Harry and Meghan have said on the record that they hope to take a couple of days very privately before they announce the, the birth of mm-hmm. Bebe Murray. Bebe Murray? Mary, Megan and Harry. Oh, Baby McGarry. Oh, that was that, bad. McGarry would have been so much better. And also, Am I going to delete this fit? Probably. I wish I had control over this episode, but it's not my week, so that's probably not being edited out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough. I would take a few days as well. I wouldn't really want to walk out a few minutes after giving birth I'm either. just surprised that they have the power to make that decision. Like mm. I kind of just assumed that was forced on uh, Prince William and Kate Middleton that they would be public about it. But obviously that was a choice they, they were able to make. I don't know, all very confusing well, to me. Well, Harry's also not exactly going to be the future king. So maybe they're more lenient on Harry and Meghan slash Meghan slash who knows what we're going to pronounce it this week. I also wonder, and this look, this could be... Drawing a very long bow. Is this already roguer than last week? Because last week was really yeah, rogue. it's well rogue. I think people can tell when we've had a long ro- uh, a long week. Okay, do you think that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle might have more bargaining power at the moment within that family, given the rumours going on with Prince William? <laughs> given Will might be having sex with someone who's not his wife, truthfully, and that the fo- the media have focused on Meghan Markle to sort of distract from the real story. Mm, and now act- Meghan's like, I will have my time. And I will do this on my own terms because you guys have thrown me under the bus. And you will not tweet about it. Yeah, totally. I think that's a good conspiracy theory. Thank you so much. Let's see how we go. (laughs) Third story. Why I will never say what happened with Sam. Phoebe Burgess wants to keep private stuff private as she sits down for her first TV interview since reconciling with her NRL star husband. Daily Mail. Yes, well done. Uh, So Phoebe Burgess did front TV for the first time. I think it was on Channel 7 Mm -hmm. since it was announced that she and Sam had split, but they have clearly since reconciled. For our beloved international listeners, Sam Burgess is a rugby player. Don't ask me what type of rugby code. I don't know. Rabbitos. Okay, that's a team, but sure. He's a rugby player uh, and Phoebe Burgess is a journalist, his wife and the mother of their two children. She only gave birth late last year and he left her a few weeks after the birth of their second child and then they were back together about a month after that. Yeah, so the rumour goes that Sam Burgess went to stay with Russell Crowe when he left Phoebe and the children and that Russell Crowe encouraged him to reconcile with his family. Good man, Russell. That's what the rumours say. That's what they say. Um, I mean, all power to Phoebe Burgess, as if she wants to put this stuff public, though she would surely be understanding as someone with a journalistic background that this story is innately interesting 
particularly to Sydney residents who are far more engaged with the rugby sort of circles than than anybody else. You know, what I found really interesting about the timing of this is that Phoebe has been doing a lot of press this week, going to a lot of events. And one of those events that she's actually the ambassador of was the Austerlin launch. And believe me, this is going somewhere. This is not a branded push. I find this interesting because she said the word strength so many times in all the quotes yeah. that she gave at the Austerlin launch. Austerlin is this brand that pushes bone strength as their major thing. It's like a calcium thing. And Phoebe was tying in the strength that she's shown over the last few months in a family sense with the Austerlin key branding message. And I was reading all the quotes being like, gal, if you were the ambassador of my brand, I'd be so impressed because she was just weaving those quotes about Austerlin in through everything. That's very good by you to pick that up because I did. I've read a lot of articles on this um, and you are completely right. She is using the word strength a lot and goodbye Phoebe if she's this is how she wants to push a pop a product go for your life I mean absolutely my fourth story Netflix tight-lipped on controversial new Chris Lilly character that is from Sydney Morning Herald so this story is quite interesting. We, there was a very big and robust conversation that went on in the Facebook group about this. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been many about cultural appropriation and blackface. Uh, blackface and racism in the Facebook group recently, and we've had to take a really hard stance on it because we don't want, number one, white people lecturing to people of colour how they should feel about blackface and cultural appropriation. The Chris Lilly conversation is really interesting because while Netflix have released the trailer for Lunatics, his new season they haven't really said much more than that and they've kind of released these stills from the show and the public has kind of gone wild with what they mean and they've tried to extrapolate what Chris Lilly is doing with those characters and whether or not he's committing blackface I'm not sure I mean it's definitely a conversation to have I'm really interested in what people of color are saying about this but the first episode and when Netflix releases this series will be fascinating to see whether or not he has there was some interesting commentary on Twitter that was quite cynical but quite valid um questioning why they weren't clearer on that and why they chose not to be decisive in telling the public what that character or who that character was and what she did and there was a lot of commentary around whether this was actually outrage publicity the producer did come out after the promo and try to set the record straight but I think that's deliberate in and of itself if the promo wasn't clear then you're clearly trying to generate a discussion to generate publicity and maybe that was the plan all along yeah and the character in question is a South African woman Uh, Chris Lilly, when he's portraying her, has a big Afro wig on. And it's, I mean, it's up to interpretation whether or not he's got a very dark tan on when he's also playing her and whether she's supposed to be African or supposed to be Caucasian. Yeah, and the other conversations uh, that are happening around that character are also speculating that she might be based on a Rachel DeLiesel type mm-hmm. person who was um, infamously that woman in the US who pretended to be black for many, many years, but it was revealed she was actually uh, born white. Yes. we People were asking us to have a conversation about that. We didn't think it was particularly right to have a conversation yet when we didn't have all the information. Yeah. We would rather sit down and watch the show and then look at it as a whole and uh, the relevance of Chris Lilly in 2019. So rest assured, if there's a conversation to be had on that, we will have it. We just prefer to have every fact in front of us first. 100%. I also feel feel like it's going to be really little things that will depict whether or not it is blackface. It's really hard to tell at the moment, but 100% I want to look to people of colour for the guidance on the issue. Agreed. And that's why we've taken a very hardline stance in that Facebook group that we should reiterate here, where we will delete comments and kick people out if there is a sense that you are calling somebody sensitive for being offended by something, whether that be blackface or feminism. We're going to take a hardline stance on, on both of those things. So White fragility is not needed here. Not at openness is needed. Anyway, my fifth story. (laughs) Watch Married at First Sight couple Dan and Jess's tense exchange on live television. That's from news.com.au. Did you watch this? Of course I did. I have to say, Talking Married, the show that interviewed Dan and Jess after the finale had aired, Mm -hmm. um, must have known they had struck gold in the middle of that interview. They got Ben Fordham on Talking Married to do this interview. So Ben Fordham is a Walkley award-winning journalist who clearly had no issues kind of poking and prodding Jess and Dan to to really try and egg this scenario on. I'd love to know if he was on the other episodes of Talking Married because surely he wasn't. I think he was. What? Anyway, for context, Dan and Jess, Michelle, I'm going to tell you how this went down because, you know, love the show. <laughs> Look at you, Married um, at First Sight fan. Dan and Jess both cheated on their partners on uh, the show. Yes, to be together. To be together. And then when they were interviewed 
by Talking Married, Mm -hmm. they kind of started to seem like they were having a, a breakup conversation with the hosts of the show. Yeah, you're getting there. Because the problem was, was that when <laughs> when Jess and Dan cheated on their respective partners to get together, a question from Dan was, have you hit on any of the other of husbands before I came into the experiment? And she said, no, 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 I've only ever had eyes for you, which was a lie. Nick. Because she, good girl. Thank you. Little <laughs> applause in the background. Because she had actually hit on Nick and made a kind of proposal to Nick that they should date on the side and maybe see where things go. And Nick turned her down. So when this was played back to Dan, when the series aired, he had major trust issues. Da, 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 da. Apparently they've both cheated on each other since anyway, since coming off the show. It's a big clusterfuck. And yeah, no one really knows. But that tense exchange on live television, like news.com.au said, was the most salacious and riveting little seven minutes of footage that I've seen in a very long time. It was viewed by, what, like 7 million people just on the Facebook page. Yeah, and then it had like thousands upon thousands of shares on the Facebook page as well. If nothing else, the network knows how to make good television. Will you be watching next season? Because I got Mitch to sit down for the finale episode and he said it was very, very good and he really enjoyed it. I'm sure he appreciates you ratting out like that too. <laughs> um, will I be watching it? I don't know. I'm, a, I'm an open-minded kind of person. Maybe. Are you though? Not really. <laughs> Watch this space, we shall see. Okay. Is that all you've got for me? Yeah, I'll hold you to that. Can't wait for uh, Married at First Sight 2020. <laughs> oh my God, see you then. <laughs> Out with Married at First Sight and in with Bachelor in Paradise, it would seem. One of the country's biggest reality shows is back and despite a massive marketing push, the show doesn't seem to be cracking public consciousness in the way it had hoped. Ratings are no good and the one conversation people actually want to have about the details around the breakup of Alex and Richie, no one seems to be able to have. Mish, how have your feelings been around and towards the show this week? I feel disappointed. I was so looking forward to Bachelor in Paradise launching because there's a big married at first sight shaped hole in my life now and it just doesn't fill it. I mean, I'm trying to get into it. I'm trying to get into all the rehashed characters being back, some of them for like the 17th time. But I can't. I get really bored in every episode. And then when I looked at how bad the ratings are, I really wasn't surprised. No, I used to love this show. Like the first season of this show, we used we to love that shit up. We used to like be so excited on a Wednesday and Thursday <laughs> when it would drop because we worked together and we did a Bachelor in Paradise <laughs> podcast. We were way too into it. It was really good season one. I know. And we would wait for that little notification to pop up on our inbox that the, the, the episode had dropped. This year, I have to say it does feel incredibly anticlimactic. I don't think it helps that it's come off the back of huge fanfare around Married at First Sight. I agree. Well, actually, some people thought that it would kind of carry across, that the people who did feel that Married at First Sight void would flip over to The Bachelor, but it's been the opposite. They've had a really big dive from last year. So Oztam figures show that they had 553,000 Metro viewers across the five major capital cities tune in. That's down 150,000 people. It's a huge drop. And they had 100,000 fewer viewers than Home and Away. In fairness to the franchise, I mean... Where are all these hidden home and away viewers? (laughs) Also a good point. Please come to the Facebook group. Tell us about the show. Closeted home and away fans. (laughs) Who are you? What do you do? Um, In fairness to the franchise, I don't think... The Bachelor has ever completely won its time slot, um, perhaps only during finale week. Mm-hmm. I think the, sh- the, sh- the strength of the show and in the franchise lies in the concentration of its demographic, the fact that we are all of similar gender, not the same, and of similar age. Yeah. Um, and so we're incredibly easy to target and that is very easy to make money off when you've got a very concentrated demographic. Yes, yeah, lucrative. Even still, like we're the demographic. I feel like we are the core demographic. Oh, it's us. It's just us. <laughs> they should do all their studies on us. And, and they're losing us. And I think it is interesting to look at why. Well, I mean, the first obvious thing that comes to my mind is that they have had a certain number of seasons. I think it's like, what, like five or six seasons of The Bachelor and Bachelorette. In the first season of Bachelor in Paradise, they used the best of the best, like the creme de la creme of the evicted contestants from previous seasons. And for Bachelor in Paradise 2, it feels like they're basically all the 
the has-beens from last Oy. year. Sorry for anyone listening. But they're not – I didn't feel much uh, of a connection to the seasons last year. Therefore, I didn't feel much of a connection towards any of the characters because I didn't watch it as much. And therefore, when they're all piling into this new Bali villa or Fijian villa, Fijian. I don't even know anymore – I don't care because I don't really have a connection with them. No, there's only a few people on the show that I'm actually interested in or invested in seeing how their relationships turn out. Mm. But the rest, I, I agree with you. I think it doesn't help that the last two episodes of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette have been a bit of a flop. Uh, we had a conversation earlier today in that we have been increasingly frustrated by the editing process of this show. Yeah. Um, to the point where we will watch, you know, different scenes together and be able to see so clearly where they've been cropped or cut. Yeah. And here's the funny thing, right? I mean, I think we actually spoke about this on this podcast last year, but we didn't have as many listeners back then. So I will recap. (laughs) Welcome all the new ones. (laughs) Sorry to all two of you that need to leave through this again. (laughs) I think we literally had a couple of thousand. Um, What we were saying is that when we would watch it to do the batch recap podcast that we were doing in our own company, we would get the unedited, very rough draft version of Bachelor in Paradise episodes, which meant no colour saturation, no music, no editing, really. We just got the scenes piled together in a really haphazard way. And we saw how much editing goes into it because we saw, number one, it's very fucking grey in Fiji at this time of year or at the time of year when they're filming. More overcast than you'd think. Everything looks grey. They have turned up the saturation so high on this show. It's insane. I mean, power to them. Everybody does it on Instagram. I not do it on The Bachelor. <laughs> the second thing that we found interesting is when there's not music under the conversation, you can hear very clearly when the audio is cut. And we had a conversation today wondering, do we notice it's been cut more than usual because we have that information and we're working more in audio nurse now so can see that? Or is it just becoming more obvious to the public? Yeah. And I mean, when you say we, you mean actually you and me. Sorry. Yes. You and me. Yeah. So I wonder if the listeners listening to this are going, oh, I've never noticed that they cut the audio really clearly and really obviously. I'd love for you guys to come back to us with this because we're not sure if we actually work in podcasting and then we're used to editing audio and therefore we can pick up the telltale signs of it. But if you haven't noticed this, I would say look out for the intonation patterns of sentences because you'll start to realize that none of the intonation patterns follow the usual flow of how someone speaks. And therefore, it's quite jarring once you realize that these are very chopped and changed sentences. That's not a conversation somebody would have. Like, that's not how a conversation goes. Yeah. And one of the conversations that really stuck out to us was with Kat, who was the villain from last year, and from Rachel, who was talking about how much she was in love with Richie. And apparently, according to the edited version that we got from the Bachelor in Paradise episode, Rachel was furious with Kat that Kat wanted to date Richie as well. But really, when you listen to how that audio has been edited, that probably wasn't how that conversation went at all. That was so butchered, that audio. It was super butchered. I remember watching it thinking, oh my God, nobody responds to a comment like this. I think Kat said, look, Rachel, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm actually quite interested in Richie. And Rachel's face goes, oh my God, girls. Mm. He was my bachelor and that's how they cut it. And obviously she's probably goes on and you can see from her body language that she was probably going to say, oh my God, girls, he was my bachelor. I've had my experience. You guys can, you know, have a go with him too. Yeah. That's how the sentence would have gone in a normal conversation. In this one, it was completely butchered to the point where they just finished by saying, mm, yeah, because mm, yeah. there was nothing else to say. I... I think we laugh about the term authenticity and how sort of buzzy it is in the Instagram age. But I do think maybe there's something to be said for genuine storylines and genuine characters. And we haven't seen that on the show in some time. Like this show feels far more performative and heavily curated than ever. And I can't work out if it, if that's because it is or if it's because the rest of us are getting smarter. I think we're getting smarter. Same. I think maybe that might be what it is. Yeah. I mean, the one time that they've tried to have this unedited, authentic conversation was the conversation with Alex and Richie. And this was the moment in Bachelor in Paradise that they used for the vast majority of their promotion, I guess, of the show. They used it on radio ads. They were using it on social media. This big on-air confrontation was supposed to be the pinnacle of drama. It only pulled 539,000 viewers, so down from the season premiere, and it was a very unusual moment. Like, we've had days since this aired, and I still don't know how to feel about it. It was 
It was framed by Osher Gunsberg, the host of Bachelor in Paradise, as this really authentic moment. He actually put on Instagram this quote, and it's a big quote, but I think it's important to get Osher's perspective here as well. We are the first people in the history of the franchise to have a hero, a bachelor, and the woman that he chose come back to paradise. And we've seen enough reality now to know that editing happens and some conversation can be missed. But we're going to show the conversation between Alex and Richie unedited. To do that, we're going to split the screen, which nobody has really done in primetime. I mean, sure, cool. <laughs> Medals for all of them. For, for context, though, Alex and Richie, like we said, Richie was the bachelor. He did pick Alex. They didn't last very long in the outside world, in the real world, before they broke up. And no details have ever been released to the public because why would they? Yeah, well, I've got a timeline. Do we want that before we launch sure. in? I mean, I've always got the facts and the context. So they, Alex and Richie, were on the 2016 Bachelor season together. They were together for almost a year. They announced their split in August 2017, the following year. That same month, Alex Nation announced that she was dating Megan Luxa through a series of paparazzi shots. She later got engaged to Megan Luxa that year, and then they called time on their engagement in early 2018. They said to still be friends, da 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 But we always knew that something was odd here because both Alex and Richie had gone to the media and said that the details of their split were ugly. So we knew that Alex had broken up with him via text message. We knew that Richie really didn't know that she was bisexual. We knew that they didn't really get along and weren't on speaking terms for the past couple of years. And we didn't know anymore until this Wednesday. I also think before we actually get into this, that we do need to stress that we don't actually know what Alex and Richie were talking about. We are operating completely on innuendo. And I think we simply want to interpret the public's reaction and the conversation that's followed that conversation. So we do know that Richie couldn't make it from Perth to Melbourne to an appointment that Alex said was invasive and that nothing any woman really wants to go through. Mm -hmm. She said it was an appointment that involved both of them and that he couldn't fly from Perth to get to the appointment. So she had to go to the appointment by herself, which she was very resentful about because it was an appointment, like we said, that involved both of them. Well, the quote from her was, I was left alone to go through something massive that no woman should go through alone. He then came back and said, Alex, you're a mother. I know that clearly. I spoke to you at length about that because you've gone down that pathway. You know what is involved with that. We spoke at length about it and I supported you and your decisions. It's been interesting for us to watch how the media has since reported on that. Yeah. I mean, news publications have written dozens and dozens of stories about this conversation and the reason for the breakup, but the words being used are like grubby and deeply personal and secret. No one's using the word involved, which we've got to say as well, we're still all reading into it. We don't have the definition laid out for us exactly why they split up. We can simply make assumptions based on the information and the quotes that we have at hand. But I think no news publications are saying what it is because we can't physically say that word until Alex and Richie say that word. And I don't think they're going to use it. They definitely won't. I mean, Kyle and Jackie O this week used that word and they were dumped from radio. Like mm. there, And when I say dumped from radio, like the entire segment had to be pulled off air. And this is the interesting thing, right? We're all talking about something. The entire country, it feels like, is having this conversation without using specific words. And so we're in this weird place now where – we're in limbo, really. Like even pedestrian TV, we, we often quote pedestrian. They wrote an entire piece called We Need to Talk About What Alex and Richie Talked About and it was probably 1,500 words and still you can't use the actual terminology of what we all think is going on here. Michelle and I actually don't have the answers as to why people aren't using the word. To be honest, we went back and forth, I reckon, three or four times this week. We went back and forth maybe for an hour before we recorded today to work out how to have this conversation, whether we could have the conversation. The reality is we couldn't find a way because nobody else has done it. You have to assume that there's some big red flag going on as to why people aren't using the term. I find it disappointing because if it's the conversation that everybody assumes it is, it's a worthy one and it's an important one for us to have on a, on a large scale. Yeah, and I mean, so many listeners might be listening to this and going, just use the word, but it's super litigious for us. We could be in a lot of trouble if we use that word and we can't outline exactly what happened because we don't know. We might be 99% sure, but to take that 1% leap can be really dangerous and really erroneous as well. I don't want to assume. We can simply talk about it here, but we can't use certain language when that's unfair to the people involved. That said... 
I don't feel negatively about any of this. I think it's good, regardless of whether we use the word or not, that we can have these types of conversations and that these conversations are normalized as a typical reason for a couple to go through something. Like, I don't think this conversation would have been aired 10 years ago. No. And I think that's part of the reason I am disappointed that we can't have the conversation in the way that perhaps we normally would have the conversation. Um, I do want to ask, and I want to chat very quickly about whether it was fair that that conversation was aired, because that's a conversation that happened in the Facebook group a little bit this week when people were wondering if it was fair that that conversation did air in its entirety. I think that it was fair. I mean, here we've got two adults who found love on reality TV. Their relationship played out publicly and broke down privately, and none of us ever really expected the details of that breakdown. We kind of forgot for a while. Mm. I think the minute either of them sign a contract to go on another show, knowing full well the other one could be there, likely was going to be there, you acknowledge that this is a conversation that could likely happen. I don't think Alex and Richie can or will plead ignorance here. Like they know the reality TV beast now. They know what makes ratings. I think they knew what they were doing. Yeah, well, Richie's been on this franchise on what, three separate seasons now. Alex Nation is known to be a master of the media and tabloid media in particular. They knew what they were getting themselves in for. They clearly wanted to have this conversation. And it was even interesting to watch the dynamic back and forth where she was saying, they were both saying things like, do you want me to say it? Because I'll say it and the public will have an opinion. And it was very pointed and interesting that they were talking about this without without going there, but kind of going into the gray area of it all. I mean, I'm happy we're still talking about it. Regardless of the language and the terminology that they want to use, Australia is still having conversations. Well, Australia isn't having conversations on a public level, but they certainly are on a private level. And I guess that is something good to come out of it all. This week, Victoria's Health Promotion Foundation, Vic Health, released findings that Australia's top influencers are not adequately disclosing paid endorsement deals with alcohol brands. According to Vic Health, this has meant alcohol is now presented as, and I quote, cool and glamorous to an impressionable audience. Zara, do you agree that we have a problem with alcohol on Instagram? Um, look, I think that we have a problem with alcohol in Australia and it's it's worthy looking at the reasons why. When I think of why we might have a problem with alcohol in this country, Instagram isn't the first example that comes to mind. No, which is what made this a really weird media story this week. And to be completely transparent, we were asked to actually go on a television station and speak about this, but we were in Sydney and we didn't have time. And to be honest, we didn't particularly know what to say. We wanted to do our research first and actually get our facts straight. But for a bit more context into this actual press release from Vic Health and this story, which they gave numerous quotes about to numerous media publications, they still studied Australia's top 70 Instagram influencers and found that almost three quarters featured alcoholic drinks in their posts. What I do want to say is that the people who did seem to be doing a paid endorsement deal, looking at hashtags and all those type of things, more than half did actually disclose that it was a paid partnership. 40% didn't. But I would say that's not that bad. 60% of influencers coming out and using hashtag ad or hashtag partner isn't that terrible to me. I think, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I think people are wise enough and young people particularly are wise enough to see a brand tagged in a photo with an influencer or someone with a following and assume that it is sponsored in some way, shape or form, whether that's actual money uh, changing hands or whether that's a relationship being built. I think that we can all see that because why would someone tag a brand these days for no greater purpose? Yeah, we're smarter. But I do think the point of this study was to look at what it means when people don't tag that's that hashtag sponsored thing. And clearly they're trying to find some kind of firm regulation around how we advertise alcohol on Instagram specifically. The, my first thought and your first thought when we read this, I think was, God, are we just going to blame influencers for everything now? Yeah. And it really feels like we are. And I mean, look, we need to say we have a skin in this game as well that you and I have worked with alcohol totally. brands before on this podcast, but that's simply because we really bloody love their stuff. And of course, we always want people to drink responsibly and in moderation, but That's not to say that we don't really enjoy a drink ourselves when the occasion calls for it. But I agree. I think it's unusual to do this whole media campaign about Instagram influencers when I see alcohol advertising on billboards and television and at sporting venues 
all the time. I really don't understand how Instagram influencers have become the source of a millennial drinking problem, which I'm sorry, but I simply don't see. I think this really missed the mark in overinflating how much young women and young men in Australia are actually drinking. I think our response to it um, comes down to how prolific the media reported on it. So Vic Health didn't come out and say that that influencers are the reason we're all such bad drinkers. I think they said they played a part in it. And I, I understand and think that perhaps the reason that this study um, was commissioned was because it's kind of new a new game for them. It's new advertising space that they haven't been able to analyse before, whereas they know the impact that television and ads and billboards have on young people. I... I thought a quote from Fergus Taylor of Alcohol and Beverages Australia was interesting. He spoke to Mumbrella and he said, underage drinking and risky drinking by young adults are both declining at the same time as advertising has been expanding onto social mediums, which shows that alcohol beverages advertising code is robust and effective. So yes, a lot of people have come to this conversation and said, what's the point of this? Alcohol consumption around millennials and Gen Z is declining who cares? But I think the point that these people are trying to make is, yes, it's declining because we're on the case so much that because we're doing these studies. No, I get it. I think it's good. I just don't like the language that was used in a lot of the uh, Vic Health quotes, I yeah. guess. I didn't think it was helpful. And I think it is really important that, God, millennials and young people cop it all the time. But we often don't talk about the fact that we're drinking less alcohol now than any generation before us. Like we are the best at actually prioritizing our health and not binge drinking compared to every other generation. There was only a headline in the Guardian Australia last year that said literally the headline was Australians drinking less alcohol now than any time in the past 50 years. If you actually look at the stats, the booziest year on record in Australia was 1975, the so-called peak beer period where the consumption per year hit 500 stubbies per person. Whereas now we're drinking less than ever before. So I kind of just get annoyed with these these clickbaity headlines and these sensationalist articles because they're not true. We're actually really bloody good when it comes to drinking in moderation and being responsible. But I think that comes back to Taylor's point in that, yes, we like drinking rates are going down and it's probably because we have such tight regulations now on what can and can't be advertised online. I actually don't think this study is the problem. I think it's the coverage of the study. When you've got photos of like Beck Judd at the polo and a headline that says, influencers are to blame for millennials um, alcohol consumption, you do kind of roll your eyes because you think you can't really put Beck Judd's face to an entire sort of uh, generation and their consumption of alcohol. Like that just seems so absurd. It is a very sort of sexy story though. And you can imagine why news outlets picked this up. Influencers do a thing and the rest of us are so much worse off because of it is mm, the tagline. The hot of. people who are ruining us all. But should this not be a, a bigger conversation about what else influencers might not be disclosing when it comes to ads? I know I said at the start. It's just boring though. Like we've had that conversation so many times. I get it, but isn't that up to the ACCC not to, and I get Vic Health can push that. I just think it's a bit silly for us to all sit around and going, oh, well, influencers are glamorizing alcohol. Alcohol has been glamorized forever. Yeah, no, I know. Like, this is not a new thing. But it's not to say that it's not a valid point, though. Like, even if it doesn't matter where it's being glamorized, if it's glamorized in a different context, it's still glamorized. We are, like, my Instagram glamorizes alcohol. Like, I'll put my hand up and say that too. And is that the worst thing ever? Like, no. sorry, but I really don't even appreciate the fact where it's like, oh, well, so many influencers in the last 12 months have had alcohol in their Instagram feed. Yeah, probably because all of us have alcohol in our Instagram feed because we're all taking photos at social events where alcohol is more commonly oh, totally. presented. Would we all be taking photos at our desks at work? No, it doesn't mean that alcohol is more prevalent, but alcohol is glamorous. Alcohol is sexy. Sorry, like I'm going to say it. I actually really enjoy a drink with my friends. I hate binge drinking. I don't do it because it's not good for my mental illness or my mental health. But at the same time, I love a drink. My generation is educated. I'm kind of sick of this discussion being like, ooh, Instagram and influencers. It just feels like a whole bunch of older people looking at this and be like, oh, Instagram is so bad for millennials and young people. Like, no, that's not the truth at all. Like in the age of RBT and viral videos of drunk drivers behind the wheel, we do not glamorize alcohol. 
if anything, compared to other generations, we look at drunk people and drunk idiots in a really bogan, unglamorous way. Binge drinking is not glamorized in today's society. No, like I, I agree almost with flatly that. reject that. RBT who's is saying, that. Who's saying that? That that was a direct quote from Vic Health that it is cool and glamorous to an impressionable audience. Yeah, drinking but not binge drinking. And I do think there are two different things. I have to say I completely agree with it, almost everything you're saying. I also love a drink with my friends. I mean, it's it's a core part of my, my social life. There is one thing that I wanted to touch on, which I found really, really interesting. And it was from Julia Stafford, who is a research fellow with the alcohol programs team at the Public Health Advocacy Institute of WA. And she said, commercial and free-to-air television and outdoor ads are still so poorly regulated. And here we are now talking about social media, which is a part of everyday life and governments are playing catch up to deal with it. Strange to me that they still don't have regulations regarding commercial and free-to-air television and outdoor ads. Isn't that And they're jumping to Instagram next. I guess they're trying to juggle it all with all of these balls in the air, but none of it's sorted. Yeah, and I mean, a positive spin on this, we're all drinking less and we're all probably healthier for it. I think that's a really great thing. I'm just kind of sick of the rhetoric, which seems to be around everywhere, that young people are worse than the generations that came before them because a lot of statistics show that's simply not the case. I just want to keep like keep it at the forefront of our minds that we're actually really bloody good when it comes to this stuff. And no, we're great Yeah, we it. need to be cognizant of how alcohol is advertised online, but we're doing a good job, guys. Like I just want to give everyone a pat on the back. Like you're not bad. You're not doing anything wrong. If you're posting photos of alcohol, do so, but do so responsibly. Like just – Remove the sensationalism from it. We're all okay. Yeah. And like I said, I don't think that's the study's fault. I actually think it's the media's fault. I do want to say you're absolutely right. The Atlantic wrote an article very recently that said Gen Z is drinking at lower rates than adolescents have in generations. Good and job, guys. And so much about a person's <laughs> lifetime relationship with substance abuse and consumption is set by use in early life, mm. which means that gener- Gen Z is setting themselves up for a pretty positive outlook when it comes to their relationships with uh, alcohol and drugs, I guess. You know what it is? We've all got anxiety and everyone with anxiety knows you're not supposed to drink very much. Very dark, sorry, but probably the truth. (laughs) Pretty dark way to end that one. But I I have to say the bottom line for both of us, and I think our initial feelings about this was, God damn, it just feels like influencers are being being blamed for everything. When in reality, this study could have been um, wrapped with analysis of of a whole bunch and a whole range of media platforms that advertise alcohol. Well, literally grab any group of 70 young people and I bet you find that three quarters of them have had an alcohol post on their feed in the last year. I don't think it's influencers. I think it's all of us and I think it's okay. And as long as we drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Hey, I think that's all we've had time for today. <laughs> oh Thanks for God. listening if you got this far. It was yeah, a bit sh- We're on shaky ground early there. Wow, we need a coffee, don't we? Um, yeah, thank you guys. If you want to keep up with us during the week, like keeping up the Kardashians, we will be on Instagram. Follow like us. That. Yeah, not quite like that. Come on, follow us on Instagram. We're at Shameless Podcast. If you want to follow Zara, she's at Zara McDonald. I'm at Michelle Andrews one. <laughs> Michelle just stared at me being plug me, plug me, plug me. Um, we will have another in conversation episode drop on in your ears on Thursday. We were really stoked with um with this one, so we can't wait to release it to you all. Woo! Bye. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.